Hello, everybody. I'm Pastor Megan, and I don't know about you all, but I got to be a part of something really exciting this week. This is a very important week for the Pacific Northwest. Um, We had something that some of us have experienced that we've been waiting for for a long time, but very few in this area have firsthand knowledge of. But those who knew the power of the potential impact of its promised coming into this community gathered all together in the promised location, about a hundred people. They set up tents and they gathered in the common fellowship that can only belong to those who know exactly what it is that they're waiting for. And then it happened. Chick-fil-A. That's right. That's right. And as a true Southerner who knows the comfort of fried chicken and the power of revival of sweet tea and the power of satisfaction that comes from a chocolate milkshake and who also happens to be pregnant, you better believe that I waited in that line. That's right. It only took about 20 minutes to just get into the parking lot from Union. But amen, and it is among us. Are these kind of waiting images, these tents, these crowds, this anticipation, is that what comes to mind when you think about what it is to wait? Does waiting for you conjure up images of large crowds? Or is waiting more of a really personal thing? Do you wait alone? Do you wait with loud, blaring music and free cookies, or do you wait in silence and alone? Our passage today is Acts chapter 1, and it's about a community of people who are waiting. Pastor Mark introduced it to us last week and introduced our new 90-day challenge. We're taking 90 days to read one chapter of Acts for an entire week. And then we have a journal that has daily instruction on how to go a little bit deeper and how to listen to the Spirit more. If you weren't here last week, we have those journals at the Connect Center on the back of your way out. I encourage you to pick one up. Pastor Mark introduced Acts, the book, as a historical record written by Luke, who wrote to tell us what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven And left his disciples to continue his work here on earth. John chapter 17, if you'll remember um, from earlier, told us what God's work was. What Jesus' work on earth was. And he said that his work was to um, let people know who God's name was. And to bring them to belief in who he is, Jesus the Son of God. And Jesus said in John that his work was now complete. So in Acts chapter 1, we have the disciples picking up this instruction. And it's an instruction that we were given several times at the end of each gospel. And it was a message to go and make God's name known in all the world and to tell people about who Jesus is. So go is the last word of the gospels of Matthew and Mark. But Luke gives us a different final last word, and it's a final word that he repeats for us at the beginning of his second book, the book of Acts. So what I want us to look at today is that long-term mission of Jesus to go 
It's a long-term mission that was for his disciples then and now. And then I want us to look at what the first step that Jesus said was the next step for the disciples in that long-term mission. So read along with me in Acts chapter 1. It's on page 919 in your pew Bibles. We're going to begin at verse 4. And when we get to the word that is the next step for the disciples, go ahead and put, leave your finger over it and we'll come back to it. So Acts chapter 1 verse 4. On one occasion, while he, that is Jesus, was eating with them, the disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard from me, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, this is a command you gave thousands of years ago with a promise that came thousands of years before that. And so would you make it fresh to us today that we might understand what it is that you want us to do and that we might receive the promise of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So was Jesus' final word, go? No. What was it? It was wait. It's the same at the end of Luke. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, you see the word stay. So which is it? You going to stay or going to go now? Just love that. The first, step, the first step of the obedient disciples is to wait, to wait, to stay, and wait on the Holy Spirit. The, the long-term mission for the disciples of Jesus is to go to the ends of the earth. But first, Wait. Wait for the gift, or a better word would be for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I've got a better idea for Jesus' next step. Are you ready for it? Okay, so Acts chapter 1, verse 8, reminds us that Jesus is still on the same long-term mission that God has been on since the beginning of Genesis, to make his name known throughout all the world. And he lays out his strategic plan in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you'll look at this map, you can kind of get a feel for it. It's going to be, he's going to send his witnesses first to Jerusalem, where they are. And in, um, you can actually follow this as an outline for the book of Acts. That's going to happen in Acts chapters 1 through 7. The, the people are going to believe in Jesus and they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Then they're going to go into Judea and Samaria, into the suburbs and into the places that nobody wanted to go, where the people who are like the untouchables are. And that's going to be in Acts chapter 8 through 12. And then from Acts 13 on, you have the belief in Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit going all the way out to the ends of the earth, okay? So that was Jesus' strategic plan. Here's mine. You go down a little bit further into Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Just take a glance there. And you'll see that Jesus had about 120 people on board with him at this point. So my idea is there's another thing at play, and that's time. He's got 10 days 
There's 10 days between verse 9, when Jesus ascends into heaven, and the Pentecost that's coming in Acts 2. So if he spreads out those 120 people in the next 10 days, he can get them into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then when the Holy Spirit comes and rests on all of them, right, then he already has 120 cities covered with the gospel and receiving the Holy Spirit. And we could be done with the mission of God by Acts 2. (laughs) I think this is a really great idea. That's my American individual delegation mind thinking. And this is how I originally thought about the calling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thought that the Holy Spirit called and anointed a single person and then equipped him or her to go to the place where he or she was assigned to do a particular work. I thought that's how it worked. And that's how I understood initially my calling to the ministry. Um, It was in my, it was a Wednesday night, my senior year of college. Um, I was um, preparing to go on a short-term mission trip to Bolivia with a group of college students. And this was four days before that. And I was having really troubling dreams. And I woke up calling out the name of Jesus and trying to, um, in Jesus' name, eradicate a sense of evil from my, from my room. And I was having a hard time pressing against this darkness. And so I decided to start reading the scriptures out loud, something I recommend to you. And I wanted to read about um, when Isaiah sees God's filling the temple with his glory, because I wanted to invite God to fill my room. But I didn't know exactly where it was, so I just flipped open to the middle of Isaiah and started reading Isaiah 42. And then I got to these words in Isaiah 43 that are still underlined in my Bible. It says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I formed for my glory. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you might know and understand and believe that I am he. You are my witnesses. And I am God. Some of you might have actually ended up looking at this passage on Monday of this week during the 90-day challenge when you were studying because it's a cross-reference to Acts chapter 1. So what your Bible editor is trying to tell you is that Isaiah 43 and Acts chapter 1 are related. In a lot of ways, Acts chapter 1 is a fulfillment of Isaiah 43. And as I was reading this out loud... I was getting the sense from the Holy Spirit that he was personally calling me on mission, that these words from Isaiah were my words, and I would be Jesus's witness, and I would go to the ends of the earth. And so I decided to take this call really seriously. I was going to the ends of the earth, to me, relative to me, I was going to Bolivia, and it was, it was just a call for me. So I was going to break up with Larry, and you can see how that turned out. Maybe you can relate to me, because anybody else relate to me and, and, identi- and thinking that the way that the Holy Spirit works is it's a personal call on me. Or maybe you're just terrified that actually the Holy Spirit might actually place this call on you. Um, he does do that. But when I was studying Acts 1 and going back to Isaiah 43 this week, what I realized was that God 
was not merely calling his people as individuals. He was calling them as a community. So look at this together with me. Look back at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Does he say you will be my witness or you will be my witnesses? When it says, okay, look back at Isaiah 43. I have verse 10 and verse 12 up here for you. Is it, are you going to be his witness or his witness says? His witness says, it's plural. It's plural. I can hear Jesus gently correcting me like he did Peter so many times with my great strategic plan to spread out the 120 all by themselves. God's idea for how to make his name known in the world was not to tell 120 people and then let them take God's mission on for themselves and figure out the best strategy plan for efficiency, okay? His plan was Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Wait together. Don't leave. I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth, but not right now. So wait I have a promise for you. Jesus is saying, you're not ready to go as you are right now. And here's the beauty of God's good news. He doesn't just let us in on the mission and tell us what he's doing in the world and then send us out to go and obey on our own. Instead, he first changes us. And the change comes because he empowers us by the power of his own spirit. God gives us his own spirit. That is not the same as any other religion. Every other religion says you go and do it. Here's your way out of desire, eradicate desire in your life. You've been dealt a bad hand, but don't worry. Just go to the right idols and offer them the right amounts. And in your next life, you'll work it out. It's up to you. Establishing Sharia, that's your responsibility. You go and do it. But that is not the way that our God works. He empowers us himself. You need a transformation. And it's a change that you cannot will or discipline into yourself. So Jesus says go. But first, stay. Because I'm going to bring you the greatest transformation. And it's not a transformation so that you can do what you need to do. It's a transformation that you can change who you are. Jesus was most concerned with changing who we are. And that is God's work in us. So stay and wait until the Holy Spirit comes to you. So let's review where we are right now. We have verse 4. Jesus says, stay and wait. Verse 6, the disciples say, okay, I'm on board. I know the next step, step, waiting for the Holy Spirit. About that long-term mission, we're going to reestablish our government, right? And Jesus says, no, that's not the plan. But you will receive power. And that's a plural you. So in Greek, it's, it's y'all, okay? The, the power's coming upon y'all, and y'all all receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And so y'all are all going to be witnesses, right? Here, and then there, and then where you don't want to go, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. And then in verse 9, Jesus is gone. And so then what happens? Well, in verse 12, the disciples are obedient and they go as one big group of obedient disciples together back to Jerusalem. And then let's see what they do as they wait 
for their promise. In verse 14, read this together with me. Just listen as I read this. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they united as one community for the 10 days. We know it took 10 days. They didn't. For the 10 days that they would wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, were those an idle 10 days? Were they, were they not doing anything? I guess it depends on your picture of waiting, what your picture of waiting looks like, especially when it comes to waiting for something that you have been promised and you know is going to happen, but you don't know when it's coming. When I think about our seven years of waiting to be pregnant, um, the most of those years were uh, really lonely, and a lot of that was because we were really quiet about it. And yet, I can count how many times during that waiting season, God wanted us to supernaturally be sure of a promise for a child. And I know this is not the case with every infertile couple, but this is something that God was doing with us. Two years ago, I was sitting in Thrive, the college ministry, and a 20-year-old young man that I don't know turned around to me and said, God told me that you were going to have a child. Pastor Bill's first Sunday here, he didn't know about our situation. And I had the privilege of baptizing little bitty Michael Robidon. And um, Pastor Bill came up to me afterward and asked, is there something that you're not telling us? Because he was so sure that God had told him that we were pregnant. And I've had multiple dreams and visions about uh, both a boy and a girl And God gave me all of those pictures of promise long before we were ever pregnant. Waiting is not an idle season. For us, it was a season of prayer and study. It was a a season of a lot of counting days and temperatures. And honestly, it was, on the whole, a pretty discouraging season. But I know that God met me in that season and trained me a lot about himself in our honest dialogue. Never has my dialogue with God been so honest. And this week, I've really had an impression from the Lord. I sense that he wants us to enter into honest dialogue with him as a community, as we wait and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us as a community on mission together. I want to look more deeply into that, um, what that wait means biblically. In verse 4, the word wait has the root word of, a, of abide, like in John 15, when Jesus says, Abide in me, for whoever abides in me, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Is that abiding an idle abiding? It's not. It's a, it's a pressing into who Jesus is. And it's the kind of abiding that you're doing when you're doing the 90-day challenge. When you're dwelling in his word and asking him to speak and studying his word. The other word that um, describes waiting is in verse 14. And the translation that you're reading here has combined several Greek words into the one phrase that joined together constantly. But literally, it would look a little bit more like this. These are the three words. They were busily engaged all together in prayer. 
This is my favorite insight from my study this week. Because waiting on the Lord, waiting for the Spirit for this group of people, looks like being all together in unity, busily engaged, like a group of busybodies whose work is prayer. That um, busily engaged together, get a little more nerdy on you, the root of that is perseverance. So saying that waiting is not, a, a, it's not light lifting that they're doing as they wait for the promise of the Father. It's a tedious and enduring and persevering work to wait for the Spirit. Three months ago, I don't think I would be able to give you an idea of what this looks like, what a community who's busily engaged all together in prayer looks like. I don't think that I had experienced it. But I think in the last three months, we have experienced this in what it has looked like to wait with you, this Chapel Hill community. Our last three months of waiting was nothing like the three years of waiting that came before it. And I think it's because we weren't alone anymore. And because we were all together engaged in prayer and asking for a child— we were anticipating a coming promise now. There was, there was a hopefulness and, a, and an anticipation in that waiting that I hadn't had before. And I truly believe, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, that, Chapel, that God is encouraging Chapel Hill through our story to really believe that God hears and answers our prayers. And because we were busy all together about the business of prayer— then we're getting to see the fruit of that all together, right? So Jesus' parting command was to go make disciples, but first wait together. And they, as obedient disciples, didn't misunderstand that as a period of um, not doing anything. They understood that their job was to get busily engaged in the business of prayer. So this is not... A lonely, discouraging picture of waiting. The waiting that we have in Jerusalem is the Chick-fil-A waiting. It's the long-anticipated, sure promise. Pitch your tent. Pack up the music. Get it loud. It is really coming. Anticipation of the Holy Spirit. And because they got busy all together praying, they got to experience that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, spoiler alert, all together. That's a different kind of waiting. And I have been wondering for us as a body, as we are committed more and more to the long-term mission of Jesus to make disciples, I wonder if we're equally on board for the next step. For this season of persevering prayer, of waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't look like a group of individuals, all individually called by the Holy Spirit, going out and breaking up with one another to fulfill my mission that God has called me on, that he's told me to do. God's way of going out on mission begins by journeying together with the Holy Spirit, by busying ourselves in the business of prayer. And so I want to call us today to hit our knees before we hit the streets. And I want us to call, I want to call us to do it, not as individuals, but as a community work 
A group that perseveres in prayer together gets to reap the benefits together. And so if you, like me, want to see Chapel Hill be an on-fire, spirit-filled community, more so than we already are just as a group of individuals who have experienced the Holy Spirit, but if you want to see us transformed into a spirit-filled community on God's long-term mission to make disciples, then let me call you to God's way to his strategic plan. So my call is first to those of you who would already call yourselves disciples of Jesus. And I want to ask you to come into persevering prayer with us. To believe and to anticipate the promise of power to be witnesses in God's whole world. And for those of you who do not yet follow Jesus, I want to call you to an invitation to start talking to God. Ask him. Ask him who you are. Ask him what it would look like to be transformed by him. And when you're ready, I invite you to invite the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God, to come in and transform you. Keep up with us in the 90-day challenge and read about what happens when a community prays and anticipates the Holy Spirit. See what happens to this community who dares to pray such a prayer. So today, I want us to actually get to practice. I want, to, I want us to hit our knees, literally, if you want to, and become a community of praying people. I'm going to invite our music team to come up and join us because Chick-fil-A had some speakers going, okay? They were playing some music. This, and to, I want us to wait and pray as a community who anticipates power that comes so that we can be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And I want us to get busy praying together. So we're going to do something a little unusual for us. I am going to begin and prompt us in a leading in prayer. And I invite you to respond however God leads you to respond in this moment. And then the, the band is going to play that last song for us because the words of that song are about us. It is about we. It is about the spirit in the community. And so as we sing, we're going to break between the song and I'm going to continue prompting you in prayer. And so let's practice what it is to be a community busy all together in prayer that God might make himself known among us. Would you join me in prayer now? Holy Spirit, if we, as we have sung, you are welcome here. And so we come before you recognizing that we are your people who've been given a promise. A promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. A promise that anticipates a transformation within us that we would not be the same people today that we were yesterday because we've been transformed not so that we can do more and perform more and do better at your mission on our own but so that we might be like you so that when we're witnesses for you we're actually showing people who you are when they see us they see you so we invite your holy spirit to work transformation in us Holy Spirit, we sing and we speak and we pray before you.